0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Vox Tablet. I'm Barry Weiss, the news and politics editor of Tablet magazine, sitting in for Sarah Ivry. Today, Jesus the Jew. There are a lot of reasons why Jews have not embraced Jesus as part of their tradition, even though he was, of course, a Jew. But accepting that truth, among other Jesus-related facts, is key to fostering better relations between Jews and Christians. So says Rabbi Shmuley Boteach in a new book called Kosher Jesus. Bauter's name might be familiar to you. He's the best-selling author of a whole host of similarly taboo-flouting books, including Kosher Sex, Kosher Sutra, and Kosher Adultery. He's also been cited as a spiritual advisor to a range of celebrities, including, most notably, Michael Jackson. Bauter joins us on the podcast today to talk about his new book, along with Noah Feldman. Feldman is a professor of law at Harvard and an expert on many things, including Islamic thought, constitutional law, and the church-state divide and he's a longtime friend of Shmuley Boteach. We're counting on Feldman to offer some historical context to the issues Boteach raises in his book. Shmuley Boteach, Noah Feldman, welcome both of you to Vox Tablet.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: First off, Noah, how exactly did you and uh, Rabbi Shmuley meet each other?
1: We met when I was a student at Oxford, and Schmuli was a young rabbi there. And uh, his, um, his society that he organized there um, which had its birth as a local chapter of Chabad, was a kind of extraordinary gathering place for people of many different backgrounds and ideas, as well as a place where you could uh, go and have your Shabbat dinner.
0: Shibuli, do you remember meeting Noah for the first time?
2: I do, I do. Um, it was around the time of the High Holy Days, and Noah had just arrived as a Rhodes Scholar from Harvard. Um, I – I not only do I remember our, our, our first meetings, uh, I remember how excited I was that he was coming because I had heard about him. Uh, Noach was a very distinguished student. Uh, he was a valed- valedictorian at Harvard and he was uh, a student who had been raised uh, in an orthodox background and I knew that we needed his – Uh, We need his skills to read the Torah for us and to study with me. And he did all those things. He read the Torah for us for two years. We were very grateful. He was really like the assistant rabbi. He helped me tremendously. And he's remained an extremely dear friend. And we're all very proud of his achievements.
0: So both of you grew up in Orthodox Jewish homes. And I'm wondering how Jesus was talked about within the religious Jewish community when each of you was growing up. Maybe Noah will start with you.
1: Well, I would distinguish the uh, the Orthodox Jewish community from the home in which I grew up. Although my parents are religiously Orthodox, they were also intellectually very open. And so Christianity in general, and Jesus in particular, were always spoken of with respect. Jesus was described, I think, probably to me as a kid as a, a wise and thoughtful person who had lots of good ideas, um, but who was not, in fact, the son of God. I suspect that was probably the punchline. Um, by contrast, in the broader Orthodox community, the taboo can run very deep. I mean, in the, among the more traditionally Orthodox people, would not even want to say the word uh, Jesus. I don't just mean they wouldn't want to say Jesus Christ; they wouldn't want to say Jesus at all. And the, uh, there are various locutions that are that are used, including the the Hebrew locution, which translates as "that man," which is you know the sort of the ultimate uh, threatening notion that one can say about about Jesus. And I think that was pretty broadly uh, the case throughout most of even the modern Orthodox world, although there I think um, there might be a little more openness to the idea that um, Jesus was in fact a Jew and that there was the possibility that perhaps his, his, his own views and his own personal life were not as challenging to Jewish Orthodoxy as sometimes imagined.
0: And, and how do you can, you, can Shmuley, maybe you can reflect on how that's changed as Christians have become vocal and critical supporters of Israel?
2: Well, it's not just Jesus who was, it, who was it taboo. It was Christians in general. I mean the, the Jewish perception of Christianity for 2,000 years has been that it's an enemy of our faith. It, uh, it advocates classic uh, replacement theology that Christianity came to supplant Judaism. Um, Jesus was seen as the fountainhead of anti-Semitism and there are many anti-Semitic remarks that are attributed to him in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John. Um, And the Catholic Church uh, especially seemed to be the incarnation of that anti-Jewish sentiment. Uh, We had long heard about Pope Pius XII and how he did uh, little. Uh, He certainly never condemned the Holocaust during the six years of the the slaughter of Europe's Jews, but uh, that he even was the first to sign a treaty, a concordat with uh, the Nazi regime in 1933. So all of this led us to feel that Christians were not our friends. And then suddenly – I mean, the extent to which this has changed is so dramatic uh, that words can can barely capture it. Today, evangelical Christians are the foremost friends of the State of Israel, the most stalwart friends. Uh, their support is uh, it's steel; it just doesn't waver. Um, the, and the Catholic Church, uh, beginning with Pope John the Twenty Third and the Second Vatican Council in nineteen sixty two, having uh, having relieved us Jews of the charge of deicide. And then followed by great popes like John Paul II and even Benedict XVI who's a phenomenal friend of the world Jewish community. Look, John Paul II described Jews as our elder brothers in the faith. I mean these are extraordinary words for a head of the Roman Catholic Church to say. So all of this has changed things dramatically and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to write Kosher Jesus. But I actually saw this change manifest not just in terms of uh, political support for the state of Israel. I saw this change manifest at Oxford University. and I'm sure Noah remembers how many Christian students we had that came as members. We're talking in their hundreds and in their thousands. And they didn't just come as members in order to hear famous speakers. They came on Sundays to do the mailings for us. They came Friday afternoon to set up the Shabbat table. Uh, they were so respectful They want, and I saw then that a new – there was a new trend within Christianity to to learn about the Jewishness of Jesus.
0: So it wasn't just about Israel. It was about learning about the Jewish faith. Yeah, it
2: wasn't just political. It was theological as well.
0: Interesting. So Shmuley, the central thesis of your book as I understand it is that Jews should take more credit for Jesus, something that most Jews that I know at least are loath to do. Why are you asking us to reconsider?
2: Right. Um, the, the Jesus is the most influential person that ever lived uh, – and he was born a Jew, he lives as a Jew, he practiced Judaism, he died as a Jew and I argue he died for his Jewishness because he opposed the Romans. It seems incredible that we would allow a personality like that who taught the Torah essentially as I demonstrate in the book, tracing his principal teachings back to their original biblical origin. It seems incredible that we would allow that man to be ripped away from us um, and just accept uh, a, a version of his life that is so at odds with uh, the facts. I mean, from the moment you read the New Testament, and this is where I agree with Chaim Maccabee, uh, the British Jewish scholar, the first thing that strikes you is that there there are no Romans. Where did the Romans go? The, you have the Roman legions that are occupying ancient Judea, and not just any legions, especially Julius Caesar's legion, the 10th. And they're brutal, and they're, uh, they're horrific. And yet, to the extent that they're mentioned at all, and that's extremely rare, uh, they're mentioned as humanitarians, these really nice, sweet guys. Now imagine writing a modern history of Iraq and the fact that American soldiers are there isn't even mentioned. You would say that it's a suspicious history. So I, that's what, where I began to examine where did the Romans go. And what you see is that there was a conscious effort to de-Judaize Jesus uh, through the through the Gospels, beginning with Mark, the earliest Gospel, and then moving through Matthew Luke and especially John, where Jesus is barely Jewish at all by the time we get to John, and an attempt to blame the Jews for his death, especially and the fact that the Jews are no longer uh, God's chosen, God's elected people, especially in 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 the writings of uh, of Paul and Paul's writings, of course, are the earliest uh, parts of the New Testament, beginning with Thessalonians. So. This began to intrigue me greatly. Why did we accept this version? What happened to the original story? And are there still threads of the original story that can be found in Christian scripture?
0: What are the origins of the book? Did it start at Oxford with these relationships that you had with Christian students or what are Uh, the origins of it? Well,
2: strangely enough, um, it started when I was 14 years old uh, on Purim, um, 14, 15 I went to read the Megillah at San Diego State University for Chabad. I was in the Chabad school in Los Angeles. And the next day we were giving out uh, Shalach Manas, the Purim package presents to students on campus. And this guy comes over to me and he starts – he was giddy. Oh, it's Purim today. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for the gift. And he was so elaborate in his praise that, he's, that he gathered a crowd who were started to watch him, maybe 30 people. And it turned out he was a Christian missionary. And uh, he made mincemeat out of me and my colleague. We didn't know how to respond to all the verses he started to quote about Jesus being the Messiah. And I went ruined my poem. I went home uh, deeply dejected. And I decided then and there that I would really look into this.
0: Certainly throughout history, Jews have wrestled with what Jesus means for them. Some scholars have even tried to reclaim Jesus. Noah, I'm wondering if you can speak to that to put Schmule's book in a bit of a historical context.
1: Sure. I think there are really two different contexts. They were each useful for understanding it. One has to do, as you say, with the history of Jewish attempts to make sense of Christianity. And this uh, always historically had very much to do with what the relationship was between Jews and Christians in a given time, in periods when Jews were subject to missionizing, including forced missionizing, uh, forced debates. Most Jewish engagement with the Christian religious materials was polemical. The goal was to show its foolishness or to show its emptiness or... Um, its errors in, in various ways, and some of the the classic Jewish engagements, really from the from the time of the of the Talmud and forward, um, have to be seen in that polemical context, responding to Christian efforts to proselytize, with uh, generally pretty negative assessments of uh, of Jesus and often negative assessments of the texts. But there is another trend also in the classical Jewish material, and that happened in times and places when Jews were relatively uh, Treated with tolerance. And under those circumstances, you find rabbis who were really open, um, one sees this especially in the 18th century, really open to pretty sophisticated engagement with Christian texts um, and to speaking respectfully about Christianity, often in the vein of saying that Christianity had the effect of spreading Jewish ideas, what were in essence Jewish ideas, throughout the world. Still, those ideas were, need of, were in need of refinement, of course. That is to say, were in need of the removal of the core element of Christianity. That is to say, the divinity of Jesus. But nevertheless, the assessment became much more positive under those circumstances. So I think one way to contextualize uh, the Shmuley's really fascinating, in many ways, counterintuitive book is to see it as a product of a current period in our history where, as Shmuley says, Jews and Christians in the United States are getting along better than Jews and Christians probably ever have, especially Jews and evangelical Christians who have made common cause over the topic of of Israel. And in that context, a more positive uh, assessment of Jesus makes sense from a rabbinic perspective. The other historical context which I think is relevant here is the history actually of Christian efforts to uncover the historical Jesus, which really begin in a very serious way in the 18th and 19th centuries, especially in Germany. And contemporary Christian biblical scholarship spends a great deal of its time trying to pour through the texts of The Christian Bible, trying to compare the different Gospels to each other, trying to compare them both to the other either archaeological or historical materials, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls that we have uh, from the period or slightly later texts, to try to understand what it was that the original Jesus really stood for. And Shmuley's book very much fits in that tradition as well. Um, And I will say that there is a tendency for critics from the outside to look at these sorts of efforts and to say that almost anyone finds the Jesus that he or she is looking for in those texts. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a Marxist, you find a guerrilla Jesus. And if you're a, a militarist, you find a Jesus who preaches a muscular Christianity. And if you're um, a hippie, you find a, a hippie Jesus. And in that context, it's maybe not terribly surprising that a, a rabbi looks and finds a, a very Jewish Jesus. that That's somehow consistent with that general tendency. The Gospels are sufficiently broad, and the method is sufficiently loose that one can always say, well, I don't think that the historical Jesus would have said this or would have said that. And then by removing the things that don't fit your theory, you end up with uh, a Jesus who matches what you think. And I don't mean to say that any of this work isn't sincere. I think it's all sincere, serious and and um, well undertaken. And I think Shmuley's book is all of those as well. But I, I do think it's similar to those other attempts to replicate a Jesus um, who matches the philosophical predilections of the person who's doing the looking.
0: Right. One of the things I'm struck by is that Shmuley's book is only one of a wave of new volumes that consider Christianity and Jesus from the Jewish perspective. I saw that Daniel Boyarin has a new book on the Jewish Christ, and there's a new Jewish annotated New Testament. So what do you make of this particular surge of interest? Does it have to do with Christian support of the state of Israel and the political context and scholars and rabbis trying to understand that?
1: I think it has everything to do with the extraordinary intellectual and political freedom that Jews experience in the United States. I mean, I, and I know Shmuelis too, I'm a deeply patriotic American, and, you know, I I can get teary-eyed thinking about how extraordinary the condition of Jews is in the United States today, really relative to what it's been in any place or any time in Jewish history. And so the fact that you could have people from such different realms, including, you know, uh, Daniel Boyarin, who's a, you know, a scholar of rhetoric at Berkeley and a very creative and innovative scholar in Jewish studies, and who wrote an extremely important book on Paul, Mm -hmm. um, Writing this book is—it's a product of of the intellectual freedom that he experiences as someone who teaches Jewish studies in a uh, state university, in one of the California State University system uh, flagship institutions, um, and the fact that Shmuley can write the book that he can, which is a product and part of debates he's had with evangelicals in front of Christian audiences, is also an extraordinary thing.
0: Okay, let's get into the argument of the book a little bit. Well, let me just Sorry, uh,
2: respond to a couple of things. Um, Noach is right. People read the New Testament and it's really a skeletal outline of the life of Jesus. So many of the details are not provided which uh, invites people's speculation and no doubt that speculation is going to be colored and influenced by their own predilections and by their own values, their own convictions. But the difference in in seeing a Marxist Jesus or, uh, or a guerrilla fighting Jesus and I touch on that in, in, in kosher Jesus, the difference I- with seeing a Jewish Jesus is that – the the synoptic Gospels, uh, the first three Gospels of Mark, Matthew and Luke are so radically different to the book of John where Jesus' divinity is suddenly emphasized and where Jesus' sacrifice is emphasized and where his resurrection plays a much bigger role. It, it It's so different that it's impossible to ignore the gulf that separates them. It's the reason why John is not part of the synoptic Gospels. So clearly Jesus has changed completely by the time we hit John and then – the question arises as to why. Why is he suddenly saying that you Jews are are, are the seed of the devil, that you Jews don't know God, you Jews will die in your sin? Um, And and modern evangelicals who love Jews uh, struggle with these verses and uh, their response usually is he doesn't mean all Jews, he means these particular Jews that he's speaking to. But these are uh, very, very insidious things to say about Jews and he doesn't say them of course in – in the first three Gospels, and and then there's all the the, the contradictions. We we were Christians were raised to believe that the Jews killed Christ. Now, what do you do with a verse like Matthew 13:31, where Herod Antipas wants to kill Jesus, and, and the Pharisees save his life? Um, what they suddenly decided if, uh, just a little while later, they wanted him dead. So I agree with Noah that It's very easy to read into the New Testament text what you want to find, and yet. I feel that kosher Jesus is more than that because it it begins with the premise that Jesus is a Jew and we see this transformation where he is de-Judaized as the New Testament scripture progresses and as time progresses. And it posits, I think very uh, convincingly, and this is based on the scholarship of others that I draw on, that the... The, the transformation in the Jewishness of Jesus was really the Jewish revolt of the year 66 to the year 70. You know, we have to remember, as, as, as Gibbon says in Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, the Romans were not used to large-scale revolts. They, they had hegemony all over the world, especially in the Mediterranean. And the Jews launched this incredible attack against Roman forces. And they drove the Romans out twice in 66 and then later, 60 years later, on to Bar Kokhba. Um, they became so hated. Let's, let's remember that by the time the second revolt is over, the Romans destroy 980 Jewish villages in Judea. They decimate the land completely. They drive all the Jews out and they even change the name. This is where we get Palestine, modern-day Palestine. They change it from Judea to Palestina. So their hatred of the Jews was such, clearly the early Christians had to respond to that by saying Jesus wasn't a Jew. He was much more Roman than Jewish.
0: Shmueli, who is the intended audience for this book?
2: Well, Jews and Christians, everybody. First of all, every book I write, I try to write for everybody. I mean if you're an author, you want to write for the widest possible readership. But um, to be honest, when I wrote this book, I wasn't focused on the readership so much as a a goal. The goal was to teach the world about the Jewishness of Jesus so as to influence some of the modern American discourse about values. You know over the past few weeks uh, the uh, the, the, uh, the American social sexual obsession is just dramatic i mean abortion, gay marriage, now contraception to create this sexual trifecta. Uh, <laughs> these are for the most part christian values it 's Christians who emphasize the celibacy of Jesus, the celibacy of of paul and and even the celibacy of of Mary uh, for Protestants, they agree that she had children afterward, as the New Testament says for Catholics. Um, they sort of contradict the New Testament itself in saying that Jesus did not have siblings. So virginity in a state of sexual purity is, is lauded. And, but not for Jews. You know, uh, for Jews, sex is something glorious. That's what I wrote about in, in Kosher Sex. Of course it's supposed to be preserved for marriage because it's about intimacy. But it's for pleasure and intimacy, not for procreation. The Bible makes that clear in Genesis 2.24. So beyond exploring the historicity of the Jewishness of Jesus, I believed strongly that by teaching the world about the Jewish Jesus, we could influence a more wholesome values debate in the United States because I think this country is suffering in not having a Jewish voice in the values discourse.
1: I, I would just want to add that um, one thing that's really brave about Shmuley's book is that it's not pandering to any one audience. And by virtue of not pandering, he's actually making the book harder to be accepted by different audiences. I mean, if he had written a book the first two thirds of which talk about the Jewishness of Jesus, and then it just ended there, then the book might have garnered a broad readership, I would think, among evangelical Christians. But then Shmuley spends the last third of the book making a series of powerful arguments for why it's a mistake to attribute divinity uh, to Jesus, either by his own self-conception or after his death. So that sort of disqualifies the book from a large potential readership. Similarly, um, the Jewish audience might have been happy to have read that last third of the book, but... Many Jews might not be terribly excited to pick up a book and carry it around with them that uh, that's called the kosher Jesus and that <laughs> draws attention to the the benefits of the founder of what is Shmuley says perceived as the uh, the the, uh, the other team. So that's that's a really brave thing to do. And when I when I saw the manuscript of the book um, when Shmuley had finished it but before it was published, I was really struck by the um, by the honesty of the book and his willingness to take on all comers. And that makes the book not immediately aimed at any one audience. It really is for the sort of generally open-minded reader.
0: Right. And I, one thing, I know, Shmali, that you're interested in creating a dialogue between Christians and Jews. And one thing I was thinking about when, I'm re- when I was reading the book, and Noah just touched on this, is that in a sense you're asking Christians to check their the main tenet of their faith at the door. And isn't that a, a major stumbling block to the dialogue that you're looking for?
2: Well, I'm not writing this book to... Convince Christians of my convictions or my understanding of jesus i 'm writing the book to teach Christians about the Jewishness of Jesus, and they will draw their own conclusions based on on, on the understanding of the jewishness of jesus which which was which uh, Christians have been deprived of for two thousand years, and there is a yearning on the part of the Christian community to discover the Jewishness of Jesus uh, Noah is right, and i 'm glad that he said that 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 last third of the book. Uh, There were people who didn't want me to include it but I did want the book to be true. I wanted it it as true as possible to my own convictions. Uh, But regardless of whether Christians will agree with me or not and the vast majority of course are not going to agree, I think that they will be significantly enriched. Uh, not only by my communication of the Jewishness of Jesus but also my communication of why Jews reject certain tenets, fundamental tenets of the Christianity of Christ. That's an important part of the conversation. And I think that we're all adults now and uh, part of having a relationship is having an authentic relationship. It can't be based on a fraudulent foundation. And fraudulence is where you know, you go to the Kufi dinner in Washington like I did, the Christians United for Israel. That's Pastor John Hagee, which is an amazing organization and an amazing dinner and he's an amazing man. But uh, I, I just saw that the the Christian pastors are so they're, – they're, they're walking on eggshells. They're afraid to even say the word Jesus because there's like 90 rabbis in the audience. Right. And, then, uh, and then then the rabbis get up and they're afraid to address it. And I don't want to have a relationship where we're all walking on eggshells. I want a relationship where we – I say very respectfully, this is what we believe and this is what I think you can draw, what you can learn from from our – a perspective on Jesus, and where Christians respond and say, Well, here's what we think you can learn. So I think we have a great deal to learn from each other,
0: Shamila, you've written a lot of books, including Kosher Sex, Kosher Adultery, and now you have kosher Jesus, um which is the latest example of taking these very taboo subjects and, in a sense, putting a Jewish stamp on them. What is that about? what is the 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 ultimate aim of reclaiming these things and and branding them in a sense as jewish
2: well I, my my passion is to influence the social discourse and influence the mainstream culture with Jewish ideas, Jewish wisdom and especially Jewish values. Um, And I once had the great honor of working in Oxford with students like Noach who've remained lifelong friends and I knew that they were going to go on to great positions of influence and authority. Um, And the idea that I was able to uh, be a rabbi to someone of his caliber and, and, and many of his friends was an honor, and it started with that. Uh, knowing people, these people would have would have great influence, um, and everything I've done is just a continuation of that. and the, And the books are about bringing a Jewish conversation to every subject. I actually don't see this taboo. I mean, is, is sex really a taboo subject? It's kind of weird that we ever thought that rabbis should not have something to say about that. But I, I'm simply addressing what I see as needs in the culture. Uh, I've written books about celebrity because we're obsessed with celebrity and I think it's undermining our society Um, and I think we've detached celebrity from dignity such that celebrity used to enhance dignity. You wanted to be famous for the good things you did. Now you want to be famous even for your dysfunction which is kind of weird and that's part of my relationship with Michael Jackson because I think Michael was honest enough to to admit what celebrity had done to him. And anyway, Noach, I don't know if you want to jump in. No, no. I just wanted to add that I think
1: um – one thing that really is characteristic of all of Shmuley's writing, and I think a lot of his other work too, his television work and so forth, is, and that does make it seem unusual or surprising or counterintuitive, even though Shmuley doesn't find it so, is that he's trying to take particularly Jewish values to bring them to approach universal questions, like human relationships, um, like marriage, like sex, and to do it without stripping the values of their particular Jewishness. And that's really distinctive. So there are lots of, um, lots of Jews who would say, especially Jews in the Reconstructionist and Reform traditions, who would say that their Jewish values inform their participation in the general world. And then you ask them what those Jewish values are, and they, they tend to be values that are, of course, Jewish, but are also universal values, like the value of pursuing justice um, or the value of treating your neighbor as yourself. And those values are sufficiently general that to say that one brings those Jewish values to the general world is not to say anything that's in any way surprising or counterintuitive. Um, uh, that's not a criticism of that at all. I think it's great, but uh, it's just a way of saying that there's, it's easy to be universal if your Jewish value is um, justice, justice shalt thou pursue. Schmule always makes it a little harder for himself, and I think this is what's distinctive and interesting about his work. He wants to choose values that are in some meaningful way distinctively Jewish. So, for example... In his his kosher sex books, he wants to talk about the Jewish traditions of sex regulation and when people can and cannot have sex and under what conditions and to take those very particularistic Jewish values and then use them to make an intervention in the general world. And this book is like that too mm-hmm. because Shmuel really is taking a very particularly Jewish perspective on Jesus. He's trying to cut out the parts that are more particularly Christian and then use it to reflect on this very broadly important and interesting subject. So what Shmueli is doing is in that sense, um, it's always counterintuitive and it's always challenging and it's, it's always interesting. And I think it is very, very distinctive to his, uh, to his approach. And I think he's almost the only person doing that. As I say, there are plenty of people bringing universal, uni- universal Jewish values to the universal world, but relatively few people are trying to take particular Jewish values and show how they matter for everybody.
0: So, Shmuley, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not you're going to run as a Republican in the 9th Congressional District of New Jersey. I'm wondering why you're thinking about putting yourself through this rigmarole and and how it connects to kosher Jesus, if at all.
2: Oh, there's a direct connection. Look, um, the principal reason that I want to run for office is I think there has to be a values voice in the United States Congress. Um, and I don't say that arrogantly, like I'm going to be the values voice. I mean someone who speaks new American values. I think that the fixation on abortion, gay marriage and now contraception is destroying this country. The fact is that there are Ten Commandments. Uh, and only one is about sex and adultery. How did we make sex the only thing we ever talk about? It's ruining this country. Marriage is going down the toilet. The New York Times just had a cover story about how uh, even among uh, baby boomers, it's increased by 50% over the past 20 years, that 40% of all white births are out of wedlock, 75% of black births are out of wedlock. So the institution of marriage is dying while we, t- while we obsess over whether gays can marry or not when you know uh, the only men who still want to get married in America are all gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there has to be a new voice. Now, the question is, can I achieve that objective in the political arena? Can I help steer the conversation away fr- from this, especially in the Republican Party? Um, can there be a values voice? But that's the principal reason I want to run. And and in deciding whether or not I should and, and, and as you said, put m- myself, my family, uh, my friends through this, can good come out of it? And I'm hearing you know, different kinds of feedback. Uh, some people are saying – No, you know, Christians are going to talk about abortion, gay marriage and now contraception and the rest of the country is going to talk about economics and here you're going to be this lone voice. Will it really resonate? But I think that if we don't change the conversation quickly, how are we ever going to deal with America's real problems? I mean I find it astonishing that as Iran's building a nuclear bomb and as the the national debt is at $14 trillion and as uh, unemployment is over 8 percent. Uh, And I could go on. And where there's such partisanship and people aren't even working together, we're talking about contraception. So I feel that a Jewish values voice, a uniquely Jewish values voice could be valuable. The question is, could it be effective? And that's what this decision hinges on. In fact, you know, I would love to hear what Noah thinks about this.
0: Well, Noah, do you think Congress is ready for Rabbi Shmuley?
1: Well, I don't know which is going to be a harder challenge. Is Shmuley ready for Congress (laughs) or is Congress ready for Shmuley? You know, I think that um, the challenge is for someone who has a, a remarkable, counterintuitive, and in some ways prophetic voice in the public sphere, and I think Shmuley has all of those things, to participate in the political process. And historically in our country, we've had extraordinary people, especially religious leaders, who've had a huge effect on the political discourse in our society. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. is only the most important, but then there are others, But they typically haven't done it from Washington. They have typically haven't done it from a position of elected office. Our country has always been, I would say, ambivalent about the position of the clergy in uh, in office. Not that it's not permitted. The Constitution guarantees the right of everybody to run for office. Um, But the, the electorate has been ambivalent about it. And I think that has to do, again, with the relationship between the prophetic voice of the person who says things are broken and we should talk differently and we should... Um, arrange our institutions differently, and we should arrange our values differently. And then the people who have the day-to-day business of running the country and filling the potholes and engaging in the other aspects of of government, which are for most real politicians the main thing that they do most of the time. So I think that's the that's the challenge for Shmuley, and that, that would be the challenge for uh, for the electorate too.
0: Shmuley Boteach, Noah Feldman, thank you both for joining us. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Shmuley Bauter is the author of 26 books. His most recent book is Kosher Jesus, out now from Geffen. Noel Feldman is a professor of international law at Harvard University. He's also the author of several books, including Scorpions, The Battles and Triumphs of FDR's Great Justices. Noah and had a lot more to say about his potential candidacy and the place for a Jewish prophetic voice in American politics. For more about Shmuley's run and about whether or not he's going to run, go to tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subra. I'm Barry Weiss. Thanks for listening.